Part 7 of Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan. Part 7. Therefore I still did pray to God that he would come in with this scripture more fully on my heart, to wit that he would help me to apply the whole sentence, for as yet I could not. That he gave, I gathered, but farther I could not go, for as yet it only helped me to hope there might be mercy for me. My grace is sufficient. And though it came no farther, it answered my former question, to wit, that there was hope. Yet, because for thee was left out, I was not contented, but prayed to God for that also. Wherefore, one day, as I was in a meeting of God's people, full of sadness and terror, for my fears again were strong upon me, and as I was now thinking, my soul was never the better, but my case most sad and fearful, these words did with great power suddenly break in upon me. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee three times together, and, oh, methought that every word was a mighty word unto me, as my, and grace, and sufficient, and for thee, they were then, and sometimes are still, far bigger than others be. At which time my understanding was so enlightened, that I was as though I had seen the Lord Jesus look down from heaven through the tiles upon me, and direct those words unto me. This sent me mourning home, it broke my heart and filled me full of joy, and laid me low as the dust. Only it stayed not long with me, I mean in this glory and refreshing comfort, yet it continued with me for several weeks, and did encourage me to hope. But so soon as that powerful operation of it was taken off my heart, that other about Esau returned upon me as before. So my soul did hang as in a pair of scales again, sometimes up and sometimes down, now in peace and anon again in terror. Thus I went on for many weeks, sometimes comforted, and sometimes tormented, and especially at some times my torment would be very sore, for all those scriptures forenamed in the Hebrews would be set before me as the only sentences that would keep me out of heaven. Then again I should begin to repent that ever that thought went through me. I should also think thus with myself, Why, how many scriptures are there against me? There are but three or four, and cannot God miss them and save me for all of them? Sometimes again I should think, Oh, if it were not for these three or four words, now how I might be comforted! And I could hardly forbear, at some times, to wish them out of the book. Then methought I should see as if both Peter and Paul and John and all the writers did look with scorn upon me and hold me in derision, and as if they said unto me, All our words are truth, one of as much force as another. It is not that we have cut you off, but you have cast away yourself. There is none of our sentences that you must take hold upon but these, and such as these. It is impossible. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 6. And it had been better for them not to have known the will of God, than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Second Peter 2.21 For the scriptures cannot be broken. These, as the elders of the city of refuge, I saw were to be the judges both of my case and me, while I stood with the avenger of blood at my heels, trembling at their gate for deliverance, also with a thousand fears and mistrusts, I doubted that they would shut me out forever. 
Joshua 20, 3 and 4. Thus was I confounded, not knowing what to do, nor how to be satisfied in this question, whether the scriptures could agree in the salvation of my soul. I quaked at the apostles, I knew their words were true, and that they must stand for ever. And I remember one day, as I was in diverse frames of spirit, and considering that these frames were still according to the nature of the several scriptures that came in upon my mind, if this of grace, then was I quiet, but if that of Esau, then tormented. Lord, thought I, if both these scriptures would meet in my heart at once, I would which of them would get the better of me. So methought I had a longing mind that they might come both together upon me. Yea, I desired of God they might. Well, about two or three days after, so they did indeed. They bolted both upon me at a time, and did work and struggle strangely in me for a while. At last that about Esau's birthright began to wax weak and withdraw, and vanish, and this about the sufficiency of grace prevailed with peace and joy. And as I was in a muse about this thing, that scripture came home upon me. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. James 2.13 this was a wonderment to me. Yet truly I am apt to think it was of God, for the word of the law and wrath must give place to the word of life and grace, because, though the word of condemnation be glorious, yet the word of life and salvation doth far exceed in glory. Second Corinthians 3, 8-12, and Mark 9, 5-7. Also that Moses and Elias must both vanish, and leave Christ and his saints alone. This scripture did also most sweetly visit my soul. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 Oh, the comfort that I have had from this word, in no wise, as who should say by no means, for no thing, whatever he hath done. But Satan would greatly labor to pull this promise from me, telling of me that Christ did not mean me, and such as I, but sinners of a lower rank, that had not done as I had done. But I should answer him again, Satan, here is in this word no such exception, but him that cometh, him, any him, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And this I well remember still, that of all the slights that Satan used to take this scripture from me, yet he never did so much as put this question, but do you come aright? And I have thought the reason was, because he thought I knew full well what coming aright was, for I saw that to come aright was to come as I was, a vile and ungodly sinner, and to cast myself at the feet of mercy, condemning myself for sin. If ever Satan and I did strive for any word of God in all my life, it was for this good word of Christ, he at one end, and I at the other. Oh, what work did we make! It was for this in John, I say, that we did so tug and strive, he pulled and I pulled, but, God be praised, I got the better of him, I got some sweetness from it. But notwithstanding all these helps and blessed words of grace, yet that of Esau's selling of his birthright would still at times distress my conscience. For though I had been most sweetly comforted, and that but just before, yet when that came into my mind it would make me fear again, I could not be quite rid thereof, it would every day be with me. Wherefore now I went another way to work, even to consider the nature of this blasphemous thought. I mean, if I should take the words at the largest, and give them their own natural force and scope, even every word therein. So when I had thus considered, I found that if they were fairly taken, they would amount to this, 
that I had freely left the Lord Jesus Christ to his choice, whether he would be my Savior or no, for the wicked words were these, Let him go if he will. Then that scripture gave me hope, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 O Lord, said I, but I have left thee. Then it answered again, But I will not leave thee. For this I thank God also. Yet I was grievously afraid he should, and found it exceedingly hard to trust him, seeing I had so offended him. I could have been exceedingly glad that this thought had never befallen, for then I thought I could, with more ease and freedom and abundance, have leaned upon his grace. I see it was with me as it was with Joseph's brethren. The guilt of their own wickedness did often fill them with fears that their brother would at last despise them. Genesis 50, 15-17 but above all the scriptures that I yet did meet with, that in the twentieth of Joshua was the greatest comfort to me, which speaks of the slayer that was to flee for refuge. And if the avenger of blood pursue the slayer, then, saith Moses, they that are the elders of the city of refuge shall not deliver him into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not aforetime. O oh, blessed be God for this word! I was convinced that I was the slayer, and that the avenger of blood pursued me, that I felt with great terror. Only now it remained that I inquire whether I have right to enter the city of refuge. So I found that he must not, who lay in wait to shed blood. It was not the will for murderer, but he who unwittingly did it. He who did unaware shed blood, not of spite, or grudge, or malice, he that shed it unwittingly, even he who did not hate his neighbor before. Wherefore, I thought verily I was the man that must enter, because I had smitten my neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not aforetime. I hated him not aforetime, no, I prayed unto him, was tender of sinning against him, yea, and against this wicked temptation I had strove for twelve months before. Yea, and also when it did pass through my heart, it did in spite of my teeth. Wherefore, I thought I had a right to enter this city, and the elders, which are the apostles, were not to deliver me up. This, therefore, was a great comfort to me, and did give me much ground of hope. Yet being very critical, for my smart had made me that I knew not what ground was sure enough to bear me, I had one question that my soul did much desire to be resolved about, and that was, whether it be possible for any soul that hath indeed sinned the unpardonable sin, yet after that to receive, though but the least true spiritual comfort from God through Christ, the which, after I had much considered, I found the answer was no, they could not, and that for these reasons. First, because those that have sinned that sin, they are debarred a share in the blood of Christ, and being shut out of that, they must needs be void of the least ground of hope, and so of spiritual comfort, for to such there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10.26 Secondly, because they are denied a share in the promise of life, they shall never be forgiven, neither in this world, neither in that which is to come. Matthew 12.32 Thirdly, the Son of God excludes them also from a share in His blessed intercession, being for ever ashamed to own them before His Holy Father and the blessed angels in heaven. Mark 8.38 when I had with much deliberation considered of this matter, and could not but conclude that the Lord had comforted me, and that too after this my wicked sin, 
Then, methought, I durst venture to come nigh into those most fearful and terrible scriptures, with which all this while I had been so greatly affrighted, and on which indeed before I durst scarce cast mine eye, yea, had much ado an hundred times to forbear wishing them out of the Bible. For I thought they would destroy me. But now, I say, I began to take some measure of encouragement to come close to them, to read them, and consider them, and to weigh their scope and tendency. The which, when I began to do, I found their visage changed, for they looked not so grimly on me as before I thought they did. And, first, I came to the sixth of Hebrews, yet trembling for fear it should strike me, which, when I had considered, I found that the falling there intended was a falling quite away, that is, as I conceived, a falling from, and an absolute denial of the gospel of remission of sins by Christ, for from them the apostle begins his argument. Verses 1-3 through three. Secondly, I found that this falling away must be openly, even in the view of the world, even so as to put Christ to an open shame. Thirdly, I found that those he there intended were for ever shut up of God, both in blindness, hardness, and impenitency. It is impossible that they should be renewed again unto repentance. By all these particulars I found, to God's everlasting praise, my sin was not the sin in this place intended. First I confessed I was fallen, but not fallen away, that is, from the profession of faith in Jesus unto eternal life. Secondly, I confessed that I had put Jesus Christ to shame by my sin, but not to open shame. I did not deny him before men, nor condemn him as a fruitless one before the world. Thirdly, nor did I find that God had shut me up, or denied me to come, though I found it hard work indeed to come to him by sorrow and repentance. Blessed be God for unsearchable grace! Then I considered that in the tenth of the Hebrews, and found that the willful sin there mentioned is not every willful sin, but that which doth throw off Christ, and then his commandments too. Secondly, that must also be done openly, before two or three witnesses, to answer that of the law. Verse 28. Thirdly, this sin cannot be committed, but with great despite done to the Spirit of grace, despising both the dissuasions from that sin, and the persuasions to the contrary. But the Lord knows, though this my sin was devilish, yet it did not amount to these. And as touching that in the twelfth of the Hebrews about Esau's selling his birthright, though this was that which killed me, and stood like a spear against me, yet now I did consider, first, that his was not a hasty thought against the continual labor of his mind, but a thought consented to and put in practice likewise, and that too after some deliberation. Genesis 25. Secondly, it was a public and open action even before his brother, if not before many more, this made his sin of a far more heinous nature than otherwise it would have been. Thirdly, he continued to slight his birthright. He did eat and drink and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Verse 34. Yea, twenty years after, he was found to despise it still. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Genesis 33, 9. Now, as touching this, that Esau sought a place of repentance, thus I thought, first, this was not for the birthright, but for the blessing. This is clear from the apostle, and is distinguished by Esau himself. He took away my birthright, that is, formerly, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Genesis 27, 36. 
Secondly, now this being thus considered, I came again to the apostle, to see what might be the mind of God, in a New Testament style and sense, concerning Esau's sin. And so far as I could conceive, this was the mind of God, that the birthright signified regeneration, and the blessing the eternal inheritance. For so the apostle seems to hint, lest there be any profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, as if he should say, lest there be any person amongst you that shall cast off all those blessed beginnings of God that at present are upon him, in order to a new birth, lest they become as Esau, even be rejected afterwards, when they would inherit the blessing. For many there are who, in the day of grace and mercy, despise those things which are indeed the birthright to heaven, who yet, when the deciding day appears, will cry as loud as Esau, Lord, Lord, open to us! But then, as Isaac would not repent, no more will God the Father, but will say, I have blessed these, yea, they shall be blessed. But as for you, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Genesis twenty seven thirty three, Luke thirteen twenty five through 27 When I had thus considered these scriptures, and found that thus to understand them was not against, but according to other scriptures, this still added further to my encouragement and comfort, and also gave a great blow to that objection, to wit, that the scripture could not agree in the salvation of my soul. And now remained only the hinder part of the tempest, for the thunder was gone behind me, only some drops did still remain, that now and then would fall upon me. But because my former frights and anguish were very sore and deep, therefore it did oft befall me still, as it befalleth those that have been scarred with fire. I thought every voice was fire, fire. Every little touch would hurt my tender conscience. But one day, as I was passing in the field, and that too with some dashes on my conscience, fearing lest yet all was not right, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven, and methought withal I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, is my righteousness. So that, wherever I was, or whatever I was a-doing, God could not say of me, He wants my righteousness, for that was just before Him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations had fled away, so that from that time those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me now. Now went I also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. So when I came home I looked to see if I could find that sentence, Thy righteousness is in heaven, but could not find such a saying. Wherefore my heart began to sink again, only that was brought to my remembrance, He of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By this word I saw the other sentence true. 1 Corinthians one thirty. For by this scripture I saw that the man Christ Jesus, as he is distinct from us, as touching his bodily presence, so he is our righteousness and sanctification before God. Here, therefore, I lived for some time very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. Oh, methought, Christ, Christ, there was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes. 
I was not only for looking upon this and the other benefits of Christ apart, as of his blood, burial, or resurrection, but considered him as a whole Christ, as he in whom all these, and all other his virtues, relations, offices, and operations met together, and that as he sat on the right hand of God in heaven. It was glorious to me to see his exaltation, and the worth and prevalency of all his benefits, and that because of this, now I could look from myself to him, and should reckon that all those graces of God that now were green in me were yet but like those cracked groats and fourpence halfpennies that rich men carry in their purses when their gold is in their trunks at home. Oh, I saw my gold was in my trunk at home. In Christ, my Lord and Savior, now Christ was all, all my wisdom, all my righteousness, all my sanctification, and all my redemption. Further, the Lord did also lead me into the mystery of union with the Son of God, that I was joined to him, that I was flesh of his flesh, and bone of his bone, and now was that a sweet word to me in Ephesians 5.30. By this also was my faith in him, as my righteousness the more confirmed to me, for if he and I were one, then his righteousness was mine, his merits mine, his victory also mine. Now could I see myself in heaven and earth at once, in heaven by my Christ, by my head, by my righteousness and life, though on earth my body or person. Now I saw Christ Jesus was looked on of God, and should also be looked on by us, as that common or public person, in whom all the whole body of his elect are always to be considered, and reckoned, that we fulfilled the law by him, rose from the dead by him, got the victory over sin, death, the devil, and hell by him. When he died, we died, and so of his resurrection. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise, saith he. Isaiah 26:19. And again, after two days will he revive us, in the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Hosea 6, 2. Which is now fulfilled by the sitting down of the Son of Man on the right hand of the Majesty in the heavens, according to that of the Ephesians. He hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6. Ah, these blessed considerations and scriptures, with many others of a like nature, were in those days made to spangle in my eyes, so that I have cause to say, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Psalm 150, 1 and 2. Having thus, in few words, given you a taste of the sorrow and affliction that my soul went under, by the guilt and terror that this my wicked thought did lay me under, and having given you also a touch of my deliverance therefrom, and of the sweet and blessed comfort that I met with afterwards, which comfort dwelt about a twelve-month with my heart to my unspeakable admiration, I will now, God willing, before I proceed any farther, give you in a word or two what, as I conceive, was the cause of this temptation, and also after that what advantage at the last it became unto my soul. End of Part 7